Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem mm. with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is the 250th episode. Who'd have thought we'd have got this far when we started? So thank you so much for being on this disruptive journey. Now, I put a poll out in our social media communities asking our disruptive entrepreneur communities, what do you want for the 250th episode? There were suggestions of live Q&As. There were suggestions of various guests. And I think it's fair to say from what the discussions have been going on in the communities that this interview with none other than the infamous David Icke was far and away um, the best choice for the 250th episode. This is probably the most disruptive, probably the most controversial, certainly the longest, world record longest podcast on the Disruptive Entrepreneur interview that we have done. Um, I'm actually currently in Dubai running a mastermind. We've got um, about 15 people who've come here to be masterminded by Mark and myself. We usually run it every year in Cayman, but we've changed uh, this year to do it in Dubai, somewhere a bit different. Uh, and um, someone who won The Apprentice is um, one of the delegates here. And he said, so what is it like uh, interviewing David Icke and his crazy theories? And, you know, what do you think of it all? And we went deep into a conversation about... Um, freedom of speech and deep into a conversation about these 10 or 15 people that apparently rule the world, control the world, the one percenters of the wealth that control all the world. Um, and it makes for really interesting de debate. Uh, and so I want to now introduce you to this podcast. It, it, I think there's moments of absolute genius and magic and enlightenment in this podcast. There may be some moments you don't understand or go a bit above your head. I can't speak for everyone, but, you know, certainly he... Definitely, there's some controversial stuff. I think I should give you a bit of a health warning. That, you know, I don't necessarily back every theory that's discussed. But Tom and Harry, who produced this podcast, we had a big discussion on the way back about whether we should edit this and just keep the stuff relevant to business and just keep the safe stuff in. And we decided that that would, that would be the wrong thing to do. So we're taking a risk here, leaving everything in. Don't judge us. You know, this is not what I, I said. This is what David answered. Um, but we just left it in pure, unedited form, start to finish. Also, David talked a lot at the start of the podcast about freedom of speech and, and pretty much all the big corporates um, and people who rule the world not giving you freedom of speech, or it's okay when it's convenient. Um, and for them, for us to edit the parts out that we thought were fit for you, uh, and then um, you know take out some of the ones, keep out, take in, whatever, uh, that probably would have been hypocritical of us. So I think you should choose you know, what you love about this podcast. This is definitely a completely unique episode. We've not done anything like it. You won't have heard anything like this on any business podcast. Anyway, enough from me. Let's go straight in with the 250th episode interview with Mr. David Icke. David, thanks for doing the podcast. No problem. Really appreciate it. I wanted to start with a question, but actually you've just raised something before we started about um, freedom of speech and something that happened to you recently. Uh, and it sounds like it's important to talk about. So... Um, how do you feel the freedom of speech is for us in society? And, and what do you think is wrong about it? And what do you want to change about it? Well, I'd like to add some. 
I think that would be a good start. Well, you can say what you want here. So. You, see, you see, the thing is that what is freedom of speech? It's the freedom to speak. Mm. So I read a politician today saying, I agree with freedom of speech, but there are limits. Well, there's no freedom of speech then. Mm. Freedom of speech is the freedom to speak. If anyone's not allowed to speak, then it's not freedom of speech. It's freedom to conform mm. to certain parameters of what are acceptable. And then what that's doing is giving power to some authority to decide what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Mm. And as we see, and we're seeing it massively now, once you give that power to an authority, it then starts interpreting um, what can and cannot uh, be uh, said in a way that squeezes and squeezes and squeezes more and more of what cannot be said. This is what political correctness is about. Mm. What is political correctness? It's simply manipulating the target population to silence itself. Mm. So those in authority don't have to. It's ridiculous. Mm. Now, people say, well, you, you say that people can say anything. Well, yes, I do. And I'll, say, I'll tell you why. Um, there are laws against incitement to racism, incitement to uh, hatred, incitement to, to violence. There are laws against that. Are they laws you agree with? Uh, yeah, and if people um, use their freedom of speech to incite those things, um, then there are laws to deal with that, and those laws should deal with it. Mm. What I'm saying is once you start censoring freedom of speech at the point of delivery or, or even more uh, sinister before the point of delivery by banning people from the right to have access to uh, the communication networks or speak in public. That is what the fascists do. Mm. What, what, what did fascists do in, in Nazi Germany? What does any tyranny do? It wants to um, silence those that are exposing the tyranny and have a different version of events to the tyranny. So what did the Nazis do? They burnt the books. They banned the meetings of people who were exposing the Nazis. And now in this inverted world, we have people who call themselves progressives and they seem to um, have this extraordinary self-delusion that that progressive mentality has something to do with being liberal when it's not it's the opposite of liberal. They are the ones that claim to be um, wanting um, people to be inclusive and to have diversity. But maybe on their terms. When they're destroying diversity and they have become the new tyranny, they have become the new Nazis. And uh, so... That sounds quite a strong thing to say. Well, it's actually... It's, what I'm, what I'm saying here is if you look at what this progressive mentality is doing in silencing people and deciding in their arrogance what people can and cannot say and what opinion they can and cannot have, you look at what the Nazis did, you look at what communist, uh, the communist Soviet Union did in terms of freedom of speech, mm. and you show me the difference between, the, between them. There mm. is none. And it's this self-deluded arrogance which goes like this. I am right, therefore anyone who says something different must therefore be wrong. Mm. And by definition, because they are wrong and I am right, um, their freedom of speech to be wrong 
uh, doesn't need to be taken into account. That's how the mentality goes. Mm. What I say is, I don't agree with them. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with them. I do agree with them. But I don't want to silence any of them. Mm. Because um, are we so immature that we can't hear different opinions? Even those we don't like, sits back in, in amazement, horrified, call the police and make our own um, judgments on, what are being on what's being said and the validity of it. Mm. Are, are, do we not have the maturity to, to put forward another counter-argument, which, if we are confident in what we're saying, will um, demolish um, that which we don't agree with? Anyone that wants to silence people rather than argue their case can't have much confidence in their own case, surely. Yeah. And once you go down this road of um, giving authority the right to decide um, what can be said, what opinions can be can be had, you are you are in a tyranny. And that's where we're going now. But it's bigger than that, because it's not just political correctness. You can't say this. You can't say that. You must say that. It's also the fact that humanity has been hoaxed on a monumental scale in relation to freedom of expression and freedom of information. And it's been done out of an area that I call the devil's playground. Uh, it's better known as Silicon Valley. What's happened is when you do the research, um, intelligence organizations like the CIA in the United States, uh, the National Security Agency, and um, the Pentagon through an organization called DARPA, the technological development arm of the Pentagon. They began seed funding technology and companies to develop what has become now known as the Internet. And an, um, an outgrowth of that, what became known as social media and the search engine technology, which eventually became known as Google, mm. All those were seed funded by this, this military intelligence network. And when they were selling it, because you, you can't show something's real face at the, at the start, otherwise people will reject it and it won't get anywhere. You have to put another face to the world. So it was Google. Oh, yeah, Google. Yeah, we just got a search engine. We can find what we like. That's great. Hey. And social media, oh, you post to your friends, you can say what you like, there's no censorship, isn't it great? Yeah. And then it builds, and then it builds, and then it builds. And now you've reached a point now with Facebook where it claims 2.2 uh, billion active users in a global population of 7.5 billion. You have um, this 90% monopoly on search engines, uh, um, searches of Google. You have YouTube, which has got basically a, a monopoly on the posting of Internet videos, which is owned by Google. And once this monopolistic situation uh, was reached, then they started saying, OK, now we've got this much control. We are going to start deciding what you see and what you don't see. It's fishing line out. Oh, it ain't great. Yeah, right. say what you like. You know, no censorship. Ooh, gotcha. And so we now have Facebook that is systematically um, censoring information outside of the official narrative. 
Um, we have this situation with uh, Facebook and Twitter now, which is known as ghost banning, uh, which they do to me, which is you post it, but all the people that would like to see it and I've liked or, or followed, would like to see mm. it, they don't see it. Only a few of them see it. The vast majority don't see it because of ghost banning. They just don't circulate it. Um, and you ha now have, um, as blatant as can be, YouTube is just deleting large, large and greater all the time numbers of, ch of channels that are uh, presenting a different um, narrative to the, uh, to the official one. In, uh, across the swathe of subjects and why do you that think are just they're... being deleted. They're just being deleted without any explanation, just that you, you've, um, you've um, broken our guidelines. What guidelines? Well, what, well he's doing something different, uh, something the same rather, and he's not breaking your guidelines, but oh, hold on a minute, he's saying the official narrative is true. Mm. And, and, and you, you were gonna ask, why is it yeah. happening? Well, it's happening because, um, I've been talking for 30 years and writing for 30 years. There are very few people control the world. Very few people. People would be staggered how few. How many? Um, well, I'm going to come to that okay, in sorry. terms of it's fewer now than ever before. And why? But people have, a lot of people have said in response to that, a few people can't control the world. There's too many people. It's not possible. Well, now we have a handful of people, which you could probably get on 10 fingers, or uh, uh, two hands, yeah, um, that control Google, control um, YouTube, owned by Google, control Facebook, that absolutely dominate the information that most people see or don't see. We, we have a concentration of power in Silicon Valley, a very small area of the world, that is the greatest concentration of surveillance and censorship power the world has ever seen. They can decide what you see and what you don't see, and they control your data, in other words, the intelligence, military intelligence community can, to find out the fine detail of your life from the information that you've posted on these various uh, platforms. So that's where we're, what we're facing in terms of freedom of speech. It's disappearing. In fact, it doesn't exist. There is no freedom of speech. By the definition of freedom of speech is the freedom to speak w your opinion mm. and not have it censored and not have it banned. So this happened to you, didn't it, at one of your talks where they tried to close it down? Well, they, they, they always try to close my talks down. Um, you don't seem that bothered. And that when do. I say they, I'm talking about a ridiculously few people. We've reached the point now where there is a, a global network of ultra Zionist groups that answer to Israel and the Netanyahu regime currently, who um, are targeting anyone who is any, in any way questioning the fact that um, Israel is not God's gift to humanity in every last thing that it does. This does not um, only include the general population. The ones they focused most on are Jewish people. Jewish people who are questioning the Israeli treatment of the Palestinians, which is horrific, are being targeted by these ultra-Zionist hate groups. 
I say hate groups because they're modus operandi to get the public to hate their targets, to silence them. And it's extraordinary how easy it is. I'll tell you how easy it is with me. Um, they, they go to, um, and I'm talking a, a, a ridiculously few people that don't represent the Jewish community at all, just claim to. They, um, they'll go to a venue and they'll say, uh, this man, Ike, he's going to come and say, um, it's all the Jews. He's anti-Semitic. He's a racist. He's going to say the, the, the Jews are doing this, the Jews are doing that. I ain't said any of that. The venue does not then come to me and say, look, these people are saying you're going to say this. And I'd say, look, go on my website and you'll see a video, a 10-hour talk that I've been doing for the last um, two years. Show me where there's any anti-Semitism or racism in it. Quite the opposite, because what I'm saying is, Ironically, we need to put down these irrelevant manufactured fault lines of race and religion and culture and color that divide us and realize that we're actually all one consciousness having different experiences and that we've got caught in the illusion that the experiences of who we are when we are that consciousness that's having the experiences. So I am um, presenting what you, you could easily call the ultimate non-racist um, uh, uh, view of life because I say race is a nonsense and an irrelevance and an illusion. Same with all of it, religion. But the venues never check. They just say, oh, well, oh, OK, we're not, we're not going to have, 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 have him then yeah. um, saying that, even though he's not going to say it. And they cancel the event. Now, when a venue says to these people, who orchestrate emails and letters, all orchestrated, same few people every time. Um, the venue says, no, hold on, freedom of speech, mate. We're not having, no, 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 he's going to be allowed to speak. What they then do is up the ante. They start um, saying to the venue, well, the, this, this, these are the consequences for you if, if you do this and whatever. And then, and then some of them go to the police and they say, well, you know, this could be very, very uh, uh, dangerous to the, uh, to the audience and the staff because there's going to be big protests against this person. And the police in Leicester, Leicestershire, one of them, the guy that, that handled it, was a counter-terrorist officer, right? You're laughing. So did I. So... I went to meet this guy. They, they, they go to the venue, right? And they say, oh, oh you know, he's got danger to the staff, danger to the, to, to, to the audience. And, and, and one of the things they said to the, uh, to the venue was, well, they could damage your reputation, right? And I'm thinking, now, I thought the police were there to defend freedom of speech, not persuade a bloody venue that it'd be better in their interest if they destroyed it, right? Mm. So anyway... That's what happened. And I, I, we got a meeting and I went up to Leicester and I met this counter-terrorism officer. God help us if that's counter-terrorism's level of operation. And I met this other guy from Leicester City Council. And the first thing I said to him, I gave them the email sent to us from the venue laying out what these two had told the venue. And I said to them, can you confirm that? what is being said by the venue here happened and that's what you did. They agreed. Mm. Um, so I knew what the interaction had been. So then I said to them, uh, name me one book of mine that you've ever read. Silence. So I said, okay, name me one um, public event of mine that you've ever attended. Silence. And then I said, well, now name me one event Anywhere in the world, and I've been right round the world in the last two years, um, 
any event in the last two years um, on this world tour where one single person has ever protested? Silence. Reason? A, they couldn't answer because they're not checked. And um, secondly, not one has ever protested. But all it's taken is for people to contact the venue, or in this case, contact the police as well, tell absolute lies about what I'm saying. And, 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 and they destroy freedom of speech and someone's A, ability to, to speak in public and B, the, the people to take the choice to listen. That was a sold out event mm. in Leicester, my hometown. Um, and then what these uh, ultra Zionist hate groups uh, do is they then contact the media when a, um, a venue cancels because of them. And they say, um, the event's been cancelled because the, the, uh, the venue realised he's a Holocaust denier and an anti-Semite. Of course, um, the media then repeat that and you see a headline like Holocaust denier uh, David Icke's event cancelled. And when this has appeared on these uh, mainstream news sites on the internet, I've contacted them, every single one. I don't usually, but in this case, you have to. And I've said, before I call my lawyers, would you please send me the evidence you have to support that headline? In every single case, bar none, they take it down in minutes because they have none. All they've done is repeated what these ultra Zionist hate groups have said. Mm. And what we are now seeing, and there's been a number of examples this week as we speak, is more and more Jewish people are coming out and, and uh, saying to these about these hate groups, um, you don't speak for us. There's, there's one guy on the internet, a story that was bro broke today, a, a Jewish man who, who, who did a video on YouTube uh, basically saying to these ultra-Zionist hate groups, I'm Jewish and you, not sp you don't speak for me. In fact, you're causing anti-Semitism by what you're doing. He had his video deleted, mm. right? So th when you've got uh, uh, Jewish people speaking out against Israel, and, and the Israeli government, that's really bad because it's, 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 um, it's very hard to paint them as, as racist against Jews when they are Jews. So they are targeted even more fiercely by these ultra-Zionist hate groups than, than people who aren't Jewish. Mm. And, and their freedom of speech is disappearing. And what we need to do is come together, all of us who are being... Uh, blatantly defamed and misrepresented by these groups. And, and they, are, they are very few in number, but very well funded. Um, and, and, and jointly expose what they're doing because they are, they are destroying freedom of speech in an ever gathering uh, way, um, week after week after week. Mm. And if it goes on, there will be no uh, body who can speak in public and challenge the official narrative because they'll all be banned. That's where we're going. Mm. And do you think, because I've noticed on Facebook with some of the changes in algorithm and the reduction of the reach and the Cambridge Analytica and yeah. all that, I think people are starting to get a bit pissed off with it now. Yeah. And there's, I mean, some of the things you're saying, I know you're talking about certain races, religions, etc. but I just see a lot of people online going, wait a minute now, you, you, you're censoring sometimes, but just, I know a lot of my posts, they go to 1% of my audience. Yeah, exactly. These are people that have found me for the last 10 years yeah. that want to follow me. 
um, and I've built this over yeah, yeah. time. As this you is have the Ghost Bunny. Facebook group. Yeah, and then, and if it's not in the format that they want, you know, so like video, they'll do it. But, you know, and, and um, yeah. So do you think people are like, had enough now? Well, they're, they're getting sick of it. Uh, of course they're getting sick of it. As they begin to understand the scale of it and where this ultimately is going to lead, which will be silencing any dissent whatsoever. That's what it's all about. Mm. And you know what sickens me more than anything else about these ultra-Zionist hate groups is that they are exploiting. I mean, it, it, it almost is incomprehensible to think that they are exploiting what happened to Jewish people in Nazi Germany. Something I'm supposed to be denying according to them. Mm. They are exploiting the horrors of what happened to Jewish people in Nazi Germany and others, by the way, to pursue an agenda of silencing dissent today. That is beyond sickening, turns my stomach. And they need to be called out on it because, you know, in terms of me, they've taken on the wrong guy because I don't give a damn what people think of me. But I do give a damn about people having a right to have, the, have an opinion, even if I don't agree with it. Mm. And a lot of people... Um, when they're faced with this, they run or, or, or they give up. Why don't you? What drives you, David? Well, if you give up what you have researched for 30 years to understand what the end game is, will happen unchallenged. So giving up is just absolutely not an option. Um, when people try to silence me, I just run at them even quicker. And if you don't give up and, you, and, and you, you speak your truth and you're not um, spewing out hatred and all this, this other stuff, but you're, you're, you're talking about the need to love each other and the, the, the need to put down the fault lines that divide us, um, then it, it's a power in itself which true hatred, which is that trying to silence you, can't cope with. You know, when, when, when true hatred, like these ultra-Zionist hate groups, um, come into conflict with true hatred, which is some of these far-right uh, um, operations, um, then that's a different dynamic, because that's hate fighting hate. But when hate's trying to silence, or hate trying to silence hate, but when hate's trying to silence someone who's trying to articulate our, our hatred is, um, is how we got into this mess. How um, allowing the fault lines to divide us is how we got into this mess. And that dynamic is different. Mm. And that's why they struggle with me. Because right. I'm not saying what they claim I'm saying, and they can't make that stand up, therefore, to any uh, proper examination. And that's why they will never debate with me. Mm. I've offered to debate with them. I, I said to them, I will debate all of you together, just me, no problem. They won't do it. Mm. Because let me tell you a, another quick story to show how far this has gone and how disgusting it is. I um, had a, a book launch of my new book, Everything You Need to Know But Have Never Been Told. Um, and the first book launch was in Edinburgh, and they tried to stop that. And um, the uh, owner of the venue, um, who'd spent a lot of time in Israel, by the way, um, got a barrister to look through my work to see if what was being claimed by these hate groups was true. He rightly concluded it wasn't. It went ahead. 
Brilliant, no problem. Spoke in London a few days later um, at the Troxy venue in London. And uh, again, they tried to stop it, but the owner knew what I was saying, knew what they were claiming was a nonsense. It went ahead, it were great. In fact, there were some people there from these hate groups who heard what I said, saw that it absolutely wasn't racist, but they completely ignore that. On the, um, on the Friday of the same week, I was due to, um, to speak in Manchester. First of all, I was due to speak um, before at the Lowry Hotel in Manchester to, as a book launch. All going well, booking taken. These hate groups uh, eventually um, lie through their teeth to the Lowry and the Lowry panic and say, oh, we, we're going to cancel. Then there was an, a second one, which was some museum. And then they did the same. And then we went to Manchester United, Old Trafford, mm. and um, explained to them what's been happening. And, and the people at Manchester United, at, in the conference area anyway, said, oh, no, we're Manchester United. We don't back down to them, uh, to, to, to intimidation. No problem. So it went on. It went on. On the Thursday afternoon, with the event on the Friday, with um, people coming from long distances, and a lot of the people are gonna be there, Manchester United supporters at this book launch, it was a dinner. Um, on the Thursday afternoon, my son Jamie, who organizes all this stuff, was in conversation with Manchester United for the final arrangements. Next morning, um, when these ultra-Zionist hate groups got wind of where, we were, where, where the uh, venue was gonna be, because we kept it quiet because of what happens. They contact Manchester United. They contact the local Labour MP for the Manchester United area called Kate Green, who's virtue signaling in all directions. She contacts Kick It Out, uh, uh, this anti-racist group in football. And together, they pressure Manchester United to pull the event on the morning it was happening. Never mind all those people that had, had bought tickets for this dinner. Never mind there were people who, who his birthday present for. Mm. No, ma no matter there were lots of Man United supporters among them. Um, cancel it. Now, here's a question. What does Kate Green, Labour MP, know about what I'm saying? Nothing. Only what the hate groups told her. What did Kick It Out know about what I'm saying? Nothing. Only what the hate groups told them. This is how easy it is to destroy freedom of speech. And I'll tell you one other thing about Manchester. In, um, in early uh, 2017, I was due to do an all-day event at the Manchester O2 Apollo. Um, again, a sellout. And um, these hate groups uh, approached the uh, Apollo to cancel. Now, fortunately, I have spoken at a number of venues of the same chain. They know what I'm saying. They know the kind of people that come along and they know what happens. So of course they said no. So, and it went ahead. So what this, uh, one of these uh, groups, uh, they're called the Campaign Against Antisemitism. This is the worst. It was um, launched right in the middle of the last uh, Israeli bombardment of Gaza when the British public were appalled about the slaughter that was going on. And, um, uh, they said to the audience that came to the event, um, email us with um, the anti-Semitism and, 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 and make a complaint to us and then we'll take it further. 
Well, of course, there was none. So what the audience did was email them with copies to me saying, actually, he said the opposite. He said, we, we need to love each other and put down the fault lines of, that divide us, like race and religion. What the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism then did, it's called the CAA, is ignore those emails, ignore what the audience said that I spoke about, and went to the uh, subsequent venues and told them the same that they told the Manchester venue and previous venues about what I'm going to say. That's the disingenuous manipulation that's going on. Mm. And like I say, some of the biggest um, uh, people that had the biggest uh, uh, consequences from this are Jewish people. Mm. Um, and we, we, we have to stop um, running away from these things, running away from talking about them and just speak the facts. Because if we don't face this, then this um, grotesque misrepresentation is going to destroy freedom of speech uh, for, for everybody because that's what it's meant to do. Mm. Okay, so is there a paradox going on here? Um, I realise my need for Facebook and YouTube in getting my message out there and sometimes feel a bit wronged, maybe not as uh, strongly as you, but certainly I do certainly feel that my reach is getting artificially exactly. reduced. So yeah. you sell millions of books. You know, you've got 750,000 followers, I think, on Facebook. Well, I'll I, I stop you there. Okay, no, please. Three years ago, I had about 750,000 followers on Facebook. Yeah. All these years later, with interest in my work exploding, I have about 750,000 followers right. on Facebook. So something's that, going on there, you think? That's the algorithms at work yeah. and how the uh, um, suppression yeah. uh, operates. Yeah. Um, and how do you deal with inside or balance this paradox of these being a great platform for you to get your message and your work out to the world, yet feeling controlled and limited by them? Well, it's... it's um, I'm going to take notes myself here because I feel yeah, the same thing. Well, so. it's, 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 a, it's a simple reply, really. Um, first of all, they're becoming less and less of a, um, a good platform as they, the suppression uh, contracts what is getting circulated. But you use the system to expose the system because the system has the, the, the um, networks of communication. So as best and dominates them, so as best you can, you have to use the system to expose the system. But in terms of entrepreneurs, and it is starting to happen, you know, what do they say? Uh, what's that line? Um, necessity is the mother of invention, mm. uh, um, an old saying. Um, entrepreneurs, if you like, who are genuine, who believe in freedom of speech, they have a fantastic opportunity here and, and, and can make a, an enormous contribution to human freedom by developing platforms, not least video platforms, and developing uh, communication platforms to replace these um, system-controlled operations mm. so that we don't have to uh, uh, use the system to, to uh, bring the system down only. We have our own free platforms, non-censored platforms, that, that, um, that can communicate it. And the more then... Um, that you have censorship and suppression in the official media networks, the more people will gravitate towards those that are censorship free. And 
it will become counterproductive then for the 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 the, um, the corporate giants in Silicon Valley to to go down the road they're going, because it, it just they'll just be uh, um, replaced. Mm. Because there there is, I mean, I've I've been on this journey now for nearly thirty years. When I started out, no one wanted to know. I was just laughed at in the street and everything. Um, on this world tour, speaking tour, since the summer of 2016, all over the world, literally, I have seen um, a dramatic transformation, both in the numbers of people that want to look at the world in another way and see that maybe this official narrative is not exactly how it is or anything like it is. And not only that, the kind of people, people within the system, people that a few years ago you thought, well, they'd, they'd, they'd never be you know, in a position to think differently or question, but they are. There is a, a changing uh, um, awareness going on that the world is not like they thought it was and the system has told them from cradle uh, mm. since, since they were born to um, uh, how, how, how things are. Because when you, when you look at a human life, it is a download of the official version of everything. That's what it is. This is why um, uh, vast numbers of people have no other filter for their view of reality, self, world events than the information they receive from the mainstream media and mainstream everything. You know, you come out of the womb and your parents who've been through the process that you're about to go through, the programming process, they start influencing your perceptions of reality. Overwhelmingly, the vast overwhelming majority, not because they're being malevolent, but, but they've been persuaded that their uh, version of everything is true. Therefore, they're passing on on to you uh, because they think they're doing the best for you. You then go into what's called the education system. It's, 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 a, it's a perceptual programming operation. It's psychological warfare on the young. Um, and from the age of uh, three, four, right up through your formative years into your teenage years, Day after day after day after day, you are being given the official version of everything, official version of science, of medicine, of politics, of everything, all the way through your formative years. And um, it's what I call the postage stamp consensus. It's a very narrow band of possibility. And if you're going to pass exams, you have to tell the system that that postage stamp perception of possibility that you've been told is reality is reality. Otherwise, you're not going to pass your exams. Because what are exams? It's the system saying, you tell me what I've told you, and I'll give you a prize. <laughs> you tell me what I've not told you, because you've got a mind of your own and you're questioning it, and I'll ring your mum and dad and say you're a disruptive influence in the classroom. Right? And we'll see what Ritalin will do to that. <laughs> right? This happens all over the world. And then, having, having downloaded this program of perception of normal, the postage stamp reality, you then go out into the institutions. You become a journalist, a doctor, a, a, a scientist, a, 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 someone in the corporate world, a politician. And you've taken with you this core download of the perception of normal mm. and how things are. And so these institutions are all controlled by this perception, and then they confirm to each other this perception is true. If you're a scientist and you don't stick to the uh, scientific orthodoxy, then you lose your grants and you become ridiculed by your profession. If you're a doctor and you don't go along with the orthodoxy, you, you, you lose the right to practice, even though it might be very effective what you're doing. 
Um, if you're a journalist, you won't last long if you go against the orthodoxy. And then all, all underpinning this, you've got peer pressure. All the people who've been through the sausage machine that you've been uh, through, um, who have um, decided that they will accept that version of normal, they then police everyone else that wants to question that normal. So you're ridiculed or condemned um, by your peers if you question what they have accepted without question. And I've used this analogy um, a number of times. I think it's very accurate. We laugh at sheep because sheep follow the one in front and, 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 and follow the, uh, the, the shepherd. One shepherd, follow the shepherd and anyone that, that, that goes out of line, the sheepdog's there, woof, woof, fear, fear, fear. And we laugh at sheep. Oh, sheep, they're so stupid. Humans have out-sheep the sheep. We've dispensed with the bloody sheepdog. We keep each other in line by ridicule and condemnation for the crime of being different mm. or questioning the norm. And how has anything ever moved forward in the entirety of human history, ironically? People questioning the norm. Because mm. if you don't question the norm, you go to, into an eddy or vortex and you go round and round and round and nothing moves on and nothing expands. But that's the idea. You cannot control a population of critical thinking, free thinking people, questioning people in the way that you can control a population that just accepts uh, like a sponge uh, the official version of everything. Mm. And thanks to the alternative media, although I, have a, I, you know, I don't think most of the alternative media goes even nearly far enough. Most of it's not actually alternative, but mainstream light. But even so, um, thanks to that um, and, and, and this uh, um, availability in the last few years of alternative narratives to world events, etc., People have started now to question more than ever before. When the government comes out and says, this is what happened, it's the Russians. Um, more and more people, like never before, are going, well, hold on a minute. Is it? Where's the evidence? Mm. And I, I tell you, when you ask that question, where's the evidence? There's usually silence coming back. Mm. And, you know, there was a, it, with this incident in, um, in Salisbury, uh, with the... Um, the nerve agent and the, uh, the Russian double agent working for British intelligence, or used to anyway, there was a wonderful line from Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, that encapsulated exactly what I'm talking about and how this perceptual download, this perceptual um, programming is supposed to work. She said, with no evidence whatsoever, there is no alternative um, to the conclusion that... The Russians were involved. Now, of course, there were there are endless other alternative possibilities, but that's what this whole programming is about: to get people to believe there is no alternative to the conclusion that what we're telling you is true. Yeah. Anyone else tells you that it's not true? Conspiracy theorist. Um, and and what people like me are saying is we're not having it. We're not going to accept the fish. If the official story stands up to scrutiny, fair enough. If it doesn't, and it usually doesn't, then that's not fair enough. But what the silencing of freedom of speech is all about is to stop people having access to that alternative narrative 
to the official one. Mm. And uh, people like me won't have it, mm. not quietly anyway. Well, sitting here listening to you has just almost put a mirror in front of my face in your way of saying it, which is why I love being an entrepreneur. Uh, whatever one defines that as, I define it as being creative, waking up today, wanting to do something meaningful and being able to do it without anyone getting in my way, without regulation or too much of it. You know, we need some, don't we, to stay safe. Um, and yeah, when you run your own ship like you do with your message, you know, you're not employed by anyone as it seems. No. Nope. Um, then you can put the work out that you want to put out and you can make the difference to the world that you want to make. And um, yeah, I suppose... That takes a little bit of courage and bravery because when you do that, the system's going to say, hey, wait a minute, you should do it like this. Wait a minute, you should do it like this. Um, so I'll come back to that in a minute because I just want, there was something I really thought of and I wanted to make a couple of suggestions for you for you to keep getting your work out there and to the listeners um, because I found LinkedIn, I don't know if they've strategically gone, oh, look what Facebook have done, we'll have everyone. But they seem to be doing the opposite where they're letting you get much more expanded reach. I mean, I've been playing with some of my content on there and it's been... I get 250,000 views in a day on something and I'm not as big as you in terms of my following and I wouldn't normally get that. So they're clearly letting it go. Right. Um, and I don't feel like my, the reach is being played with. It seems to be pretty consistent. So that's one thing. I just uh, Second thing is, I, we were talking about this on the way down. You should have a podcast. I mean, the great, but no one seems to control a podcast. Joe Rogan's got one. He says and does what he wants, 100 million downloads a month. Uh, and it's like it's like they can't be policed, they can't be controlled because you own the back end audio, and then okay, iTunes will syndicate it, and Stitcher will syndicate it, and Podbean will syndicate it, and whatever else. But but you own this asset, which doesn't seem like it can be controlled or doctored or manipulated. And um, you know, my podcast has nearly two million um, subscriptions, and it's got. I'm just a, a little guy doing a little thing, you know, and it's helped me get out to the world. So I guess I'm saying that because if people feel like you, that the bigger media, I'm pointing over here, obviously you've got Google up on you. Um, if they feel that... Um, I've got Go my website Okay, up, yeah. if they feel like Google and Facebook, and I'm not here knocking those, by the way, but I'm just saying if they feel Google, YouTube, Facebook are starting to police, reduce your freedom of speech, have the evil doctor, evil press button. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. And you don't like that. I think these are the platforms like LinkedIn and podcasts. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my sons who, who, who run the organisation of my work, um, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are doing this now because um, mm. we, we have to respond to, to, to what is happening. Um, but there are great opportunities for entrepreneurs uh, who believe in freedom um, to to re replace or offer alternatives to these platforms. I know people are starting to do it, um, but it, 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 the more that we can have, the better. Mm. Because um, this, I, I, in my new book, uh, Everything You Need to Know But I've Never Been Told, I talk about the fact that YouTube was demonetizing alternative content. And of course, the alternative media, I mean, I, I write books and stuff, so I, I'm not dependent on YouTube. But a lot of alternative people became dependent on YouTube, monetizing their videos to, to make more videos. And I said in the book that that's only stage one. The next stage is they start deleting channels. And of course, now they're deleting channels um, on a very, very large scale worldwide. So this is not something that's, that's going to happen over a long period of time. That's what I'm saying. Mm. So there is a very urgent need and a massive uh, potential audience for um, 
platforms of, if you like, social communication and um, videos uh, for people that really believe in, in not censoring. Mm. And, um, you know, yes, the big companies uh, will go the way of the system. I mean, this I, I, I actually love it when uh, out of nowhere, um, major corporations got together and said to Google, you're uh, uh, talking about YouTube, you're putting our adverts against uh, uh, hateful videos and, and, and you must stop it. And they all got together and said, oh, you know, all these ethical companies, you know, that have the best interests of humanity at art while they're screwing them day by day by day, right? It's all orchestrated. Um, and so Google, B-movie actors, said, oh, no, we better take the adverts down then, which just happened to be on the alternative media uh, channels. Mm. Um, and um, that was how the demonetization started. And then once you, once you start it, you roll it out even more, and now there's virtually, virtually none on Google for anyone with an alternative view. But people still have to sell things. Yeah. And there, there is a, a, an advertising, quote, market out there for a large audience platform. Mm. And if people um, would go down that road, um, there are great financial opportunities for them, uh, as well as um, the main reason, from my point of view, which is having the ability to communicate information uncensored. Mm. Because the more uncensored information circulates, the more the system of control will fall because its whole foundation, its whole way of surviving is to keep from its target population what it is doing, how it is doing it, and to what ultimate end. Mm. So... Do you regard yourself in any way as a businessman or an entrepreneur? It seems to me like the more you resist these things you stand against, the bigger and more powerful and more successful you become. Are you aware of that dynamic going on? No, I'm not. A, I'm not an entrepreneur. Um, I um, spend my life researching information and communicating information. Uh, my sons, um, Jamie and Gareth, uh, who um, run the organization of everything, uh, they um, work to get my information out there. Mm. Um, and they can be very creative at it, and they have to be very creative at it because of all the uh, pressures to, to, to stop it. Mm. Um, so that, that's the way I work. I, I don't have anything to do with that side of things at all. I just deal with the information. In fact, you know, there, there was a time um, when I did it all, yeah. um, I did it all, you know, I, I, everything, um, and uh, including writing all the books and, and mm. everything. But now as my sons have got involved in recent years, um, it's freed me from all the other side of it. So I just focus on the information and, and it's been incredibly effective, both mm. in, in the information I've been able to, to, to uncover because I've had more time and also in the, the fact that they, um, they have been excellent in, um, in the way that they have, um, they have organized um, the communication of it. Mm. And is that just to free up your time or is that because you don't really enjoy the more commercial aspect or is that because they're good at the commercial aspect or is that because you wanted your family involved? No, um, it, it's because A, they're good at it um, and B, I, am, I have no interest in it whatsoever. Um, 
all the commercial side of it and, and what have you. I have no interest in that whatsoever. I just want to um, uncover the information and communicate it. Mm. But you're quite right. In the world that we live in, you have to have um, an organization around you that A, can provide the opportunities to communicate the information you're uncovering, yeah. and also to make sure that um, there is money there to finance what you're doing. Mm. You know, we, we do our own events and, and it's a heck of a lot of money has to go out before any comes back. Um, when, when you um, uh, are printing books and what have you, there's a hell of a lot of money goes out before it comes back. Mm. And, you know, people can see the cover price of a, of a book, but, you know, we don't get anything like that. No, no. Because it goes through distributors, it yeah. goes through shops and there's all the shipping. So, so, yeah, so uh, uh, printing, exactly. And, and so um, you have to have an organization like that that's sound. Otherwise, the, the point of everything, which communicated the information, just, just stops. Mm. So, but, but that's not my side of things. I don't, I don't enjoy that. Sure. But I, I do. But you, you embrace know, don't, it. Don't let me um, give the impression that I don't like uh, business and I don't like entrepreneurs. Quite the opposite. Um, you know, a microphone, for instance, is neutral. It's what you use it for that makes it positive or negative. Same with a notebook, same with a printing press, same with a computer, same with the world of the entrepreneur. You can use that creative business acumen, um, seeing opportunities and exploiting them in a way that's very beneficial for the world. Or you can do it like the giant corporations, which is hijacking the wealth, therefore the power um, in the world in the hands of fewer and fewer and fewer people. And, you know, one of the things I've been talking about for decades now, and, and I gave it the name at one point, the Hunger Games Society. It's a structure um, which you can symbolize as a pyramid, where at the top of the pyramid, you have this 1%. Actually, it's less than 1% at the core. At the bottom of the pyramid, you have the rest of humanity that are not in the 1%. And the 1% of, 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 of um, hijacked by this point um, all the wealth of the world, basically, and therefore they're calling all the shots. And between the um, controlled masses and the 1% is a merciless police military state to hold that status quo. Um, and when you... Um, when you look at the way society is going, day after day after day, you can see that happening. You've got the police state and the police military state emerging more and more, the surveillance state. That's all part of this middle strata to um, impose the will of the 1% on the masses of, of the people. You've got more and more uh, uh, people at, at, at other levels of income um, that are being touched by this um, austerity. You've, you've now got the, the so-called middle classes um, being targeted and finding it harder and harder to, um, to financially uh, survive. Um, you've got more and more people falling into the lower strata, more and more homelessness, etc. Uh, more and more lower wages. And at the top, you've got this incredible concentration of wealth, thus power into the hands of fewer and fewer people to the point now where vast amounts, vast percentages of the world's wealth are actually held by single digit numbers of people. 
And this is the Hunger Games society um, unfolding. And so, you know, we can, we can look at the, the pressures um, on freedom of speech, but entrepreneurs that want to use their skills and use their ingenuity to challenge that Hunger Games structure with freedom and with a, a, a great a, a greater uh, expansion and distribution of wealth, they're also finding themselves targeted by the system with regulation and you can't do this and what have you. Um, because um, anything, whether it's freedom of speech or whether it's entrepreneurs that are doing things that are undermining the emergence of this Hunger Games uh, society pyramid, they're all being uh, targeted. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge to take it on. It is a challenge to take it on. But, you know, what did I just say? One percent or less than one percent. And the one percent can only have the power they have because, A, they control the money systems and control governments, but also because that middle strata of the police military state who are made up of people from the population, um, police that population to the benefit of the 1%. When they start to realize that actually their families uh, are, are um, being affected by this, their children and grandchildren have to live in the world that they're helping to bring in by protecting the 1% interest from the interests of the masses, then the whole pyramid will fall. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm more confident than I've ever been that that pyramid will fall, but it won't fall on its on its own. Mm. We've got to start getting engaged. Mm. Okay, so let's come back to that. Uh, I'd like to explore you a little bit more, David, if that's all right. So um, you said earlier you, you can't walk down the street without getting laughed at. I couldn't, I can um, now. Okay, so let's I'll go- I get stopped in the street and talk, talk to very seriously now about what's going on in the world. It's been a dramatic transformation, but it once was like that, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I'd like to talk about both of those okay. sort of more extreme scenarios. So at first when that happened, how did it make you feel and how did you deal with it and cope with it and carry on doing your work despite all this ridicule? Something inside of me told me this was leading somewhere and that if I kept going, then that somewhere would emerge. And when you go through the level of ridicule that I did in the early mid-90s, one of two things happens. Either it destroys you and you withdraw from the world or you let go of the prison that most people live in, which is the fear of what other people think. Most people are not living their lives. They're not living who they are. They're living what they think others think they should be. And therefore, um, they're living a lie. They're living someone else's version of them. What happened to me uh, as a result of that massive ridicule is that I let go of the fear of what other people thought. And when you do that, um, it's indescribable what that does because no more mental gymnastics before you open your mouth. What do I say here? <laughs> they want you down there. Hello? Hello, darling. Yeah, I'm in the middle of an interview. Would you, would you, would you like to be part of it? <laughs> no. All right, that's, that's good. 
I will. All right, darling. See you later. Bye. No, you were very good. You were very good. <laughs> Bye. Um, what, um, what I did was let go of that fear of what other people thought of me. And it's the freedom is indescribable. Because like I say, you, you, you don't have the mental gymnastics. How do I put this so they won't think I'm crazy? What do I leave out so they won't think I'm crazy? You reach this point where this is me and I don't give a damn if you think I'm crazy. So how did you do that? Well, it's, it's, it's something that comes from letting go of the fear of what other people think, you know. Um, I mean, if, if you ask people to, to write down, say, their top five fears all over the world, invariably, um, va the vast majority would include speaking in public, right? Mm. What, is speaking, what is the fear of speaking in public? It's the fear of what other people think. And ridicule, shame. Yeah, it's the fear of what other people think. Mm. So when you stand on a stage... If you fear what other people think, you can be nervous because the power dynamic is with the audience because they are going to decide if you feel secure or not. So you're scanning the audience as you're speaking and you're looking for reaction. What do they think of it? That power is there. Mm. Once you let go of the fear of what other people think, you can speak to 100 people or a million people. It doesn't matter because the dynamic has changed. The dynamic now says, this is my truth. And I respect your right to make of it what you will and come to your own conclusion. But this is my truth. And your reaction is not going to affect my truth. So however you, you react to what I'm saying, whether you like it, whether you laugh at it, or whether you um, condemn it, it doesn't matter to me because mm. it's my truth and I have a right to speak it. I, I, my, my truth and my security is not dependent on other people's um, reaction to me. Mm. That's their, I, I completely respect their right to respond as they choose. But I have a right too not to be affected by it. And so in that way, you can, um, you can get ridiculed in the street and it don't really affect you. You just shake your head and, and walk on. Mm. And sometimes it's, kind of, it's an interesting kind of interesting experience, really. Sometimes. Do you have a bite? Well, one, one, very rarely I have uh, long ago. Mm. Uh, but one of, the things I, uh, one of the things I have done, when people have been laughing at me, yeah, the bloke, yeah, I've stopped and I've started laughing at them and pointing at them if I've got someone with me. Oh, look, look. You want to see the absolute <laughs> see. anger yeah. on their faces and the indignation. And you think, hold on a minute, I'm just mirroring you back at you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's an interesting point about, you know, human interaction. When, when, we, um, when we say something about someone or do something about someone, we, we think that that's making a statement about the someone. It's not. Mm. Every time it's making a statement about us by what we, are, by what we say and what we do. And, but people don't see that. And this is why people don't see so often that they are mirrors of that they rail against. Mm. You know, if you take, if you take this progressive mentality... Like I say, I'm not talking about liberal mentality. I'm a liberal. If you look at the definition 
of um, the dictionary definition of liberal, it is someone who believes in maximum freedom of speech, maximum freedom of lifestyle, yeah. maximum freedom of, um, of everything. Um, but a progressive mentality, which they actually call liberal, it's stunning, believes in the opposite of that. So you have people who rail against the system, who think they are anti-establishment, who are actually doing exactly what the establishment wants, which is to silence the population. Mm. When you've got the progressive anti-establishment mentality saying to government, he must be silenced, he must be, she must be silenced. And the government and the corporate world and the establishment are going, yes, we would be delighted to do that. <laughs> and, and so it's, a, it's, it's, it's this mirror, this, this inversion where people perceive themselves in a certain way, but actually act in a way that's the very same as that they rail against. So mm. they'll talk about fascists. We're anti-fascists. All right, you're anti-fascists, right? So what do you want to do? We want to silence these people. That's what fascists do, mm. you know? They yeah. can't see it. That's the problem. Mm. This, I've, I've gone through this struggle in my life, David, a little bit, where um, when I was young, I was very overweight and I, I didn't really feel like I fit in um, and I was a bit slow on being liked and, and that seemed to build a bit of a need in me to be liked which I started overcompensating okay. for you know as I grew up I understand that and, and and I think it's only been the last few years I've really started to go you know this is me this is who I am um, and sort of I, I still think it's there but I think it's like it's ma I'm managing it better I have found like you I like you visibly lifted when you said it. It was like when you said it's liberating and freeing, it was like yeah. you exercise something from your... And I just know how amazingly more impactful and happy and confident people would be if they stopped worrying about what everyone thought about them. Gotcha. And I really want to dig in this because I don't know if you were able to do it through some introspection or I don't know if almost you were forced to do it because it was, like you said hide away and you know, I don't exist in the world because they've beaten me or one day you thought this is enough, enough is enough. So um, what, what could you say to other people who are a bit overly worried about what people think to help them get rid of it? Well, first of all, um, if you have people around you who so disrespect your right to be you that they give you a hard time for being you, then what are you doing with them? Mm. You know, there's loads of other people out there that will respect you. Go and find them. Don't, don't surround yourself with people that don't respect uh, your right to be you. I don't care if they're family. I don't care who they are. If they don't respect your right to be you, then what are you doing interacting with them all the time? It's just going to make you depressed. It's mm. going to make you frustrated. Walk away. And if they, if they then come round, great. But if they don't, well, equally great. Mm. You know, it's like kids. I, I, I see this thing with parents. You know, I, I've spoken to, um, to people in their 60s who are still feeling guilty for not doing with their lives what their parents wanted them to do. Mm. Oh, you know, I wanted to go walking in India, but my mother wanted me to be a lawyer. I don't <laughs> like the law, but, you know, I had to do it. Oh, no, you didn't have to do it. 
Mm. You know, if, if, your, if your mother want, want, wants to be a lawyer, she could go and be a bloody lawyer. If you want to walk in India, go and walk in India. Mm. And if your mother, I don't care, all these stuff, oh, but she's me, I don't care. You, you, you will only express your true, unique self if you refuse to let anyone impact and suppress that expression of your true, unique self. Mm. And uh, uh, the number of people, the number of parents who, and I think this is child abuse, frankly, who want to live their lives through their, uh, through their uh, children, who want to um, get kudos through their children. You know, I was in America once and, and I saw this, um, this sticker at the back of a car. My daughter won this so-and-so a, a, a degree in college. And I'm thinking, yeah, your bloody daughter did it, mate. You didn't bloody do it. What are you doing? Mm. Trying, to, trying to get, you know, live uh, through your children. Congratulate your children, yeah, but... Mm. Looking for the kudos? Oh, yeah, my son's gone, going to Oxford. My daughter's going to Cambridge. Oh, really? You are a successful family. <laughs> um, her, her, her son wants to go walking in India. You know, her daughter wants to be a nurse. But they go to university because mother says so, father says so. The number of people, I mean, it's not even rare. The number of parents, particularly the ones with, with more money, therefore more influence and access to these educational um, institutions. Um, the number of them that impose their will on their children because it suits them and not their children is absolutely disgusting. And what it's doing, it's turning out very frustrated, very distorted people who are, who are living a life they don't want to live. Mm. And I'll say this to people, are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Do you get up in the morning and say, new day? If not, why not? Make a list. Why am I not happy? Why don't I have joy in my life? Why don't I wake up in the morning and say, yeah, new day? What are the things that make me uh, not feel like that? What are the things that would make me feel like that? Okay, stop doing them and do them and refuse to compromise on stop doing them and doing them. Take control of your life. Mm. And, you know, if you go deeper into it, this is, this is, the, this is the area that, that, that is, is my great passion, my great love, my, uh, what, what I absolutely um, love researching and gaining understanding in, the nature of reality itself. We live in a... Um, equivalent of a Wi-Fi internet field. I call it the cosmic internet. Uh, it's, it, they're, they're quantum fields of possibility and probability waiting to manifest. Mm. I've got a computer here, and what appears on that screen is dictated by what part of the internet I access. That dictates what appears on that screen. Mm. In the same way, what part of these um, quantum fields of possibility and probability I access and um, turn into experience in a way I'll describe in a second, dictates 
what appears on my screen, in other words, dictates my own life experience. If you live your life within the parameters and the program of the postage stamp consensus, then you are interacting with this quantum field of possibility and probability in a very narrow band of frequency. So the potential you have to manifest experience in your life and achievement, if you like for a word, in your life is limited by that. Once you um, expand your self-identity, as I'll come to in a second, and your consciousness expands, you and your, your sense of the possible expands, you're now interacting with this quantum field of possibility and probability in a much uh, uh, vaster uh, swathe. And therefore, your potential for manifestation of experience, for manifestation of achievement, for manifestation of the, world, the, the life you'd want becomes massively uh, expanded. Um, take the Chinese internet. It is firewalled off so that Chinese people can only ex uh, access a fraction of the internet, mm. symbolic of this yeah. um, uh, postage stamp consensus mentality. But beyond those firewalls is a vastness of possibility with the internet that they never see, mm. information they never um, access. And what dictates our interaction with this possibility and probability is our self-identity, seems to me. If you believe that you are little me and have no power, um, then that manifests itself as the frequency band you're operating on, and it's very narrow. Coming back to, to the simplest analogy, it's someone who sees the glass half empty or the glass half full. That's a completely different perception of the same situation. And what will come from those two perceptions will be very different experiences of that glass um, compared with the other. And for me, we have got caught, and this is, this is the very foundation of the uh, perceptual manipulation. We have got caught in the illusion systematically that what we're experiencing is who we are. People self-identify with their labels. I am, uh, I am a man, I am a woman, I am black, I am Jewish, I am Muslim, I am this, I am that. And if you look at political correctness and this whole transgender uh, explosion. Ah, transgender. Yeah. Go on, do it, say what you want. Don't uh, even start. No, no, we'll be another don't, two hours. Don't start me off. <laughs> um, um, because that's, that's a complete scam. It's not about, um, just a very quick aside, it's not about um, respecting um, people who, who, who feel they're in the wrong body. It's not, it's not about that. That's just the excuse. Um, it's about divide and rule. We now have feminists and transgender people in conflict. It's, it's another fault line, but there's many, really very much more to it than that, and it goes very deep. Um, but what that's doing... If you, if you look at it, it's creating subdivisions and subdivisions and subdivisions of self-identity. Mm. We're now, in terms of looking at self-identity, we're looking down the wrong end of a freaking telescope. Mm. They're getting minute. I am R, LGB, blah, 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 blah. And, and what it's doing, every time you um, subdivide 
into a in a smaller perception of self, you are getting further and further and further away from the true self, which is consciousness. Consciousness that's having that experience. When people have near-death experiences and leave the body and, and suddenly experience a vastly different reality, they've left the body. Mm. So what has left the body? Consciousness. Their point of awareness. We, we are in our prime form, a state of awareness, a state of being aware. <laughs> what the body does, I call it a biological computer, is it when, when we experience through the body, when that consciousness experiences through the body, the body focuses the attention of that consciousness in a tiny band of frequency known as visible light, which is so tiny it's laughable, and that's all that we can see. Mm. We don't actually live in a world. We live in a band of frequency. And beyond that frequency is infinity, which we can't see. You know, if, if you tune to Radio 1, you tune a radio to Radio 1 or a television channel, a television to BBC 1, that's what you get. Mm. You don't get BBC 2, that doesn't exist to BBC 1. Mm. You don't get Radio 2, that doesn't exist to Radio 1. You get Radio 1. And so the body is tuning us and focusing our attention in, in a narrow band of frequency. It's an experience. Um, and, and these experiences are given labels like Christian, white, black, brown, Jewish, Islam, Hindu, right? What happens is, and it, this is what the program encourages, of course, is people self-identify with those labels and they say, that is me. Mm. I am my income bracket. I am my life story. I am my race. I am my culture. No, no. They are what your consciousness is experiencing, your point of attention. And you know you, Mr. Islamic man, and you, Mr. Jewish man, and you, Mr. Christian man, and you, Mr. White man, you, Mr. Black man, you, Mr. Asian man. You're all points of attention of the same infinite consciousness. And because you have become so programmed to believe that your labels are you, you are fighting each other for power. To hold on to an identity. Of, to hold yeah. on to, uh, to impose in many ways an identity that is merely a, an illusion of incredibly short experience. When you, when you leave the body, your conscious leaves the body at a near-death experience, for instance, and I've read endless accounts all over the world, people, the, the common themes are incredible. Um, they don't say, oh, I'm out of the body now, um, but I'm still, I'm still a Muslim, I'm, st I'm still a Hindu, I'm still a this, I'm still a that. No, no, they are consciousness. Consciousness, awareness, a state that's what we are. Um, and so when in the body you can stop self-identifying with the labels and start to self-identify with being the consciousness, everything changes. Because what self-identification with labels does is it focuses attention and your interaction with the cosmic field of probability and possibility is limited by that focus of attention within that frequency. Once you say, they are my experiences, I am the infinite awareness having those experiences, you start to interact with possibility and probability on a vastly greater scale. And suddenly, 
life becomes an adventure. Suddenly, your life changes. Uh, people that, that, that um, represent the old frequency of your life, they disappear. New people come in. New opportunities happen. Amazing coincidences happen that didn't happen before. Oh, it's a miracle. Fancy me. No, it's not a miracle. You're interacting with um, possibility and probability on a vaster scale. Therefore, probability and possibilities happen in a more extraordinary way than they do when you're there. And um, this is um, when you do the research and you realize what is actually manipulating this world, you realize that while the vast majority of people that are making decisions every day, like politicians and people, etc., are overwhelmingly 99.999% clueless about reality, as are most scientists, vast majority of scientists and doctors and all of them, deep in the shadows, out of the public arena, where it's all coming from. They understand how this works. They know that if they can hijack your perception, they can hijack your experience by this feedback interaction between your perception, which creates your frequency band of interaction with the cosmic field of possibility and probability. The more they can contract our sense of self, the more they can control our life experiences and suppress it to the point where we're no problem to them. Mm. Um, have you had ayahuasca? Have you ever had any of those experiences? Yeah, I had it. I, I did that once in 2003 in um, Brazil. Um, not done it before, not did it since, uh, but I had a fantastic experience. Yeah. Um, I was writing a book um, in 2001, 2002 about the... Um, uh, the World Trade Center disaster, 9-11. And it was all about how the, the official narrative is, is it, it, it's a joke, frankly. I mean, it's the most ludicrous story because if that's true, that can't be true. If that's true, that can't be true. None of it fits anyway. And look what 9-11 what, what has justified ever since. And when I was writing that book, I thought, you know, if I'm going to, um, if I'm going to take this on, I, I need to get out there um, and see this world from another perspective, not in some dream where you wake up and you think, was that a dream, was that real, but actually where you consciously experience it. Synchronistically, this is what happens when mm. you start expanding your interaction with the field of possibility. Um, I, I then got invited to go to a Brazilian rainforest and take part in an ayahuasca week. I could have taken it four times, took it twice, mm. had a fantastic experience. And on the second night, Particularly, um, I spent five hours having this very clear, took a female form, female voice, as loud as mine is now, and very, very funny. Give me chapter and verse on the fact that this reality we think is so real is just an illusion, that there is no physical, right? And that the world we think we're experiencing outside of us. It's not outside of us at all. It gave me chapter and verse on it. And mm. I had instant, total recall of all of it afterwards. Mm. So I came back. Why was it a fantastic experience? What was fantastic about it? Because it was rewriting um, the human perception of the reality we're experiencing. And it was doing it in such a... Uh, a persuasive way 
that made total sense. And then I came back and I um, started looking at what I was told. And I realized that, you see, you, you look at mainstream science, it's a series of disciplines, not only few of them talk to each other, but a lot of them are, are in competition uh, with each other for funding and prestige. But when you actually break it down and you connect the dots, especially in the areas of quantum physics, I realized that actually, if you put the dots together, what this um, voice was telling me in the Brazilian rainforest, in this ayahuasca um, perceptual state, had already been established, right? Mm. And I've gone down this road big time since 2003 when this happened. And everything that I've discovered, every new scientific discovery in the realm of quantum physics, for instance, has further confirmed what I was told that night. Mm. Because we live, we, live the, we live our lives as if this world is solid and is outside of us. Well, quantum physics has shown it's not solid. I mean, we're, we are told that um, the physical world is made up of atoms. Atoms have no solidity. You know, um, an atom is um, a nucleus with electrons flying around it. The distance within an atom um, between the nucleus and the electrons and, um, well, let's put it in a simple way. If a... Um, uh, an atom was the size of a cathedral, the nucleus would be the size of a 10 cent piece. Atoms have no solidity whatsoever. And if you go deep enough into the nucleus and the electrons, they have no solidity either. So we're being told that this physical world, which isn't, is made up of atoms and atoms have no solidity. How is that possible? It's possible because the world isn't solid. The base form of this reality is exactly in principle like a Wi-Fi field. It's waveform information fields, mm. right? This is the quantum field of possibility and probability. The body, as I've been calling it for decades, is a biological computer. In its base state, it too is a, is a waveform information field. What the five senses do is take waveform information, take the ears, that's an obvious one, and they turn it into electrical information and they communicate that to the brain. And then the brain then decodes that electrical information into holographic and digital information inside the brain, which we experience as a world outside of us. It exists visually, it exists in a small um, area of the back of the brain that decodes visual reality. Other parts of the brain decode uh, um, hearing and touch and taste, etc., and smell. And together, the brain fits that together into an experience that appears to be outside of us. You know, um, uh, the old question, um, does a falling tree make a noise? Only if you hear it. That sounds weird. What are you talking about? Because of this reason. When a falling tree falls, it doesn't make a noise. What it does is disturb the air. It disturbs the waveform field, which sends out vibrations. Vibrations are picked up by the ears, communicated electrically to the brain, which decodes them into the sound of a tree falling. 
A tree falling only makes a noise when we hear it. I'm talking to you now, and what I'm communicating to you is a waveform field generated by my vocal cords. And words are not passing between you and me. Um, waveform uh, frequency fields are passing between you and me. They're picked up by your ears, communicated to your brain electrically, and it decodes those waveform fields into the words that you are hearing. We are, uh, are living a complete and utter illusion of reality. You know, people say, well, you know, it, they've got to be physical because you can't walk through the wall. Well, if you are of the right frequency that's different to the wall, yes, you can. I mean, things go through walls. Frequencies go through walls because the frequency that goes through the wall is so different to the frequency of the wall that it can pass through. And when we um, have a, a resistance, which we experience in the decoded world of holographic illusion as a physical existence, uh, resistance, that is an electromagnetic resistance at the waveform level of reality. It's all illusion. All this was explained to me over this five hours by this uh, voice in Brazil, who actually opened up by saying this. Um, basically, uh, you're going to be told the nature of reality, but all you really need to know is infinite love is the only truth. Everything else is illusion. And it repeated it. Infinite love is the only truth. Everything else is illusion. The illusion that has, that has stopped us understanding our true nature, which is consciousness, is what creates the division, the chaos, the conflict, the hatred, and stops us being what we truly are, which is incarnate love. That's what we, we're supposed mm. to be. Lo not love in the sense of, um, you know, I saw you down the disco, uh, fancy you, darling, love you, darling, all that stuff. No, it, it, it's love on another way. We have so um, misrepresented what love is, we have to put words in front of it now, mm. like, like unconditional love and what have you. But it, it, is, it is a state of, 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 of harmony, a state of being, a state of compassion, a state of empathy. Um, and when we are in that state, there is no disharmony. But when you, when you fall for the illusion of what I call the phantom self, the name of one of my books, um, where we self-identify who we are with the labels, then the force manipulating human society can play those labels off against each other and create divide and rule and conflict, which is what it does. Mm. And through this subdivision and subdivision of the minutiae of self-identity, it's doing it on an ever greater scale. When you self-identify with being um, a point of attention within infinite awareness, and I look at you and I know that you are a point of attention within the same awareness, and so are you, and so are you, and so is everybody else, then we, we, we view each other in a completely different way. No, long, no longer do we need to compete. No, no longer do we need to, to manipulate. No longer do we need to trash. No, no longer do we need to cuss and kick and fight to get to the top of the greasy pole. The greasy pole, for what? The greasy pole within this infinitesimal section of time we call a human life. 
when what we are infinitely is consciousness. And we have to fight each other and punch each other and kick each other to get to the top of a greasy pole in this tiny uh, segment of life or time we call life. Even time's an illusion, by the way. Mm. Um, and, but you do have to be somewhere yeah, in about 15 minutes. Yeah. Within, so. within, <laughs> within the perception of this reality. Yeah. Time exists within the perception mm. of this reality. When you, Which we created. When oh, I think it's been created for us, that's another whole right, interview. Okay. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but when, when, when people leave the body in a near-death experience and they go to a point where they become consciously, consciousness, a state of awareness, then time as we experience it here does not exist. Mm. Um, and if you think about time, people think there's a past and there's a the future, but there's only a now. There's only, there's only a now moment. Mm. And so that's very difficult for people to, to grasp at first because they think, well, I've been there and I'm going there. Well, but hold on a minute. Um, when you're thinking of the past, where are you? You're in the now. When you're worrying about the future, where are you? You're in the now. And when what we call the future becomes an experience, it's experienced in the now. There's only the now. So time is an illusion too. Mm. But we, we use time so that we can operate within this reality. But again, it's part of the illusion. It's part of the, um, the reality that people think is real but isn't. And, you know, if, if you kind of think about it, if you are a tiny group of people deep in the shadows who understand the nature of reality, the illusory nature of reality, how people interact with reality, how perceptions of people become their experience, cause and effect, just think of the magnitude of power that gives you over the target population. Mm. This is why mainstream science is so controlled so that it doesn't go down these roads. I mean, you know, you talk to most scientists, although quantum physics has shown this to be true, uh, and they have to acknowledge quantum physics exists because it does, they crack on in their own disciplines as if quantum physics doesn't exist, as if the whole thing's bloody solid and real. Mm. I mean, you, you, look at, you, look at, um, you look at medicine. Medicine treats the body as if the body is a solid reality with the scalpel and the drug. But the body is just a decoded projection of waveform energetic fields. And if that energetic field is in harmony, the body has to be in harmony. It has to be healthy because the body that we see is just a holographic decoded projection of the waveform field of information. If that um, uh, waveform field of information becomes disharmonious, which emotion can do, this is why stress causes illness, which fear can do, which anxiety can do, which radiation fields can do, which Wi-Fi can do, then that um, distortion of the waveform field of the body becomes expressed in the projection, decoded projection of what we call the physical body. And therefore we have disease, dis-ease, mm. disharmony, illness, which is why the alternative methods of healing going way, way back, whether it's acupuncture or all of it, Focus on healing the waveform level of the body, the energetic level of the body, knowing that if that's right, this must be right. Mm. Because mainstream medicine, within this five-sense postage stamp prison that it operates in, 
does not accept the waveform level of the body and only accepts this level, which it can see, touch and taste, etc. What can it do but try to treat what it can see with the scalpel and the drug, which is why it causes such uh, mayhem uh, um, to the point where the biggest cause of death in America now is the treatment. Mm -hmm. Staggering but true. And so what alternative practitioners say is mainstream medicine only treats the symptom, it doesn't treat the cause. But if mainstream medicine will not accept the existence of the waveform field level of the body, which is, which is where the cause comes from, it's only left with treating the symptom, which is the expression of a problem in the waveform field being decoded into the holographic field of the mm. body. So you look at science, you look at medicine, that uh, journalism, like I say, all of it, politics, they're all living on this postage stamp. Mm. Oh, we're a left-wing political party. Okay, you're on the left of the postage stamp. And we're a right. Yeah, okay, you're on the right of the postage stamp. And, but no one's off the postage stamp. Mm. And therefore, society is living in this bubble of unreality, this bubble of complete misunderstanding of the very reality we're experiencing. And it's kind of sobering to think that science, politics, medicine, all of it, journalism, decisions being made all the time about what happens to the world and what happens here and what happens there, are all being made by people who are absolutely clueless about the very reality they are experiencing. They are making laws, making decisions, based on the world being solid and real, when it's not. Mm. Is it any wonder that the world is chaotic and a, a place of utter madness? How could it not be? Mm. How could it not be? Understanding the reality that we're experiencing is fundamental to everything. How can, how can we understand anything if we don't understand the, the, the very reality we're experiencing? And, you know, when you perceive the world to be solid and uh, physical, what comes from that? Virtually everything is impossible. Well, that's not possible. That's not yeah. possible. That's not possible. Once you realize that the world is malleable because it's just the decoded um, expression of a malleable information waveform field, then suddenly... Um, what is possible absolutely explodes. And so much is, um, is waiting to be discovered or waiting to be unsuppressed, mm. better way of putting it, that would set this world free and create a paradise, which it could be, instead of a prison, which it is, because the knowledge that I'm talking about is suppressed. Mm. And so you have people who are a point of attention within infinite awareness that are all that is, has been, and ever can be. And you ask them who you are, who they are, and they will say, I'm Ethel. I work on the checkout at Tesco. That's who I am. No, it's not. That's the experience you're having at the moment. Mm. But it's not who you are. But if you think that's what you are, how are you going to live your life? I have no power. Mm. What can I do? 
And that's what the system wants. And that's why it wants to put us in these perceptual prisons. I refuse to go there. Thank you very much. All right, so that's question one. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I really want to respect your time. We've got maybe five to ten minutes left. How about we have a little bit of fun and do something different and do like maybe a quick fire round. Go on then. I'll ask like five or six questions. Can I get a prize? Uh, Yes, yeah, we'll publish you. Yeah. All right, so quick fire, maybe try and give 10, 20 seconds. So um, something I'm inspired with about you is how prolific you are with your work. You've done like five books in two or three years. How are you so prolific with your work? How do you get so much out there? How many, so many books? I just sit down here and write them um, and sit here until they're finished. And what happens is that um, I'll set out with a kind of an idea because I never write a book unless I'm going to take it further. Um, and um, it usually ends up very different to how it started out mm. because the, the information comes to you and the synchronicity comes to you. Information comes to you in synchronistic ways. Uh, you know, over a period of days, you might have a new a, a new subject come into your life out of nowhere, and suddenly you, you're, you're coming a, a, across information about that subject from everywhere. This has happened to me for thirty years, and some of the books have been written. Yeah. And so um, there is another force at work. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay, great. So you've had um, you, it could be perceived that you've had um, quite varied careers. You started with football, got your arthritis, then of course your TV presenting and various different things that you've done. Of course, your career now. Would you say you've reinvented yourself? You've definitely adapted very well in different areas of your life. What's your f- thoughts about how you've had different careers? No, uh, it's been a journey, um, and it's been a journey looking back that has been incredibly synchronistic. Um, I grew up in on a council estate in Leicester where people um, didn't expect much more than go and work in a factory if they could get a job because there were factories in those days um, and um, and they, they they thought you know small and because that's that's what they were that's their perception of what their life was because they were working class mm. uh, I never accepted that I, I, I wanted to be a footballer uh, people said oh you never be a footballer how, how many people are footballers I said I'm going to be a footballer and I became a footballer and again through a synchronistic bits of quote luck that were that were amazing that I ended up there but then I then at the age of 21 um, uh, so so my childhood was about I'm not accepting the norm immediately mm. I'm not accepting this is this is what my life's going to be I'll decide what my life's going to be um, I then um, uh, went to um, uh, went went to uh, uh, play football, and I got rheumatoid arthritis. I had to finish at the age of twenty-one, and that was a tremendous um, opportunity for me to overcome massive disappointment, um, to overcome the sense of oh, I'm a victim, and saying no, no, I'm not. And I, I thought, what am I going to do now? And I'd always been interested in journalism as a kid. I used to read papers a lot. I want a front grandstand. BBC show, there used to be, mm. a sports show. And people say, you'll never front grandstand. I'm going to front grandstand. And, 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 and again, I went into journalism and papers and radio and stuff, bits of luck and synchronicity, I ended up fronting grandstand. And then I um, started to um, get, get sick of television. I found it sycophantic. I, I, I found it, you know, it's up its own backside. I, 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 I lost interest in it. Once I'd achieved it, I lost interest in it. I, I got interested in, in, the, in the environment and um, a, 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 amazing synchronicity over a period of eight weeks or so um, took me from joining the Green Party in the 1980s to being a national spokesman. I mean, it was just bizarre, the speed of it and what happened. And that gave me an insight into politics 
And I, I could see what politics really was, which was a waste of frickin' space. It's not going to change anything. Um, and then um, uh, the journalism gave me an insight into journalism, in, into the media. It gave me the ability to write um, simply, uh, 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 sometimes complex things, because that's the only way you're going to get them in a paper or whatever. Mm. Um, and so by the time amazing things happened to me esoterically um, in the late 1980s, which led me into where, where, where I've done ever since, I had this uh, uh, this backlog or this, this back story of experience in the very areas that I needed it to to do what I do now. Mm. And so when I look back, I don't see I don't see jumps. No. I see a progression. Okay. And it was like um you've um you've experienced this, you've got what you need for it, now something else. It was like some other force has been opening and shutting doors in the maze to, to take me through. Mm. And funnily enough, where this whole thing started, which led me to what I'm doing now, I was working for the BBC at the time, um, was that uh, I was having strange experiences over the period of a year. When I was in a room uh, alone, it felt like there was something else there, some presence. I wasn't alone. And it built up and built up and built up and built up. But eventually, long story short, I went to see a psychic for the first time in my life, not telling her anything, just, just seeing if she'd pick up what the hell was going on around me. And um, she goes into psychic mode um, and says that I'm going to go. Uh, uh, and she knew nothing about, about what was happening to me. And um, she said, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a basically a, a force trying to uh, communicate with you through me. And what they're saying is that um, basically you've been guided through all these different experiences and all these different careers because to be led to this, this moment. And this was in March 1990. And from now on, you're going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets. You're going to face enormous opposition, but we will always be there to protect you. And that there is a vibrational change coming that is going to awaken humanity from its slumber because there's a story that has to be told uh, from, its, from its coma. Um, and, and many, many other things, every single one of which by now has either happened or is happening. Mm. And, uh, and so when I, when I look at my life um, from the perspective of now, just coming up to 66, but that's just a number anyway, um, I see that it's been um, a, a process. And one of the things that I, I was told through this psychic in 1990 is all this has been planned before you even came. Mm. So where it ends, we'll see where it ends. Mm. But where it's gone so far is exactly where I was told it would go wow. nearly 30 years ago. Wow. Would you say you're a controversial figure? Yes. Con contrarian? Well, controversial, yes. Well, in, in, in a world of madness, what is the point of, of not being controversial to a, to a world of madness? You know, I mean, you know, in a world of madness, uh, being called mad is, is a compliment. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. So um, I am controversial, and, but it's amazing how little it takes to be controversial today. It's like Orwell said, um, you know, um, it, it, it basically in, in an authoritarian world, um, telling the truth is a, is a, is a highly controversial thing. Mm. He said different words, but that, that was the theme. 
And um, of, of course, a revolutionary act, he called it. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act um, in a world of deceit. So, of course, I'm controversial. If mm. I wasn't, I wouldn't be doing what I do. Sure. Your best and worst advice you've ever been given, if you can think of something. Um, best advice. My father, when I was a kid, he said, David, you're never finished until you tell yourself you're finished. It doesn't matter what anyone says about you. It doesn't matter how bad things get. Until you accept you're finished, you're never finished. So that was the best advice I ever mm. had. And that came very handy when, when all hell broke loose in the early 1990s. Um, mm. The worst advice I've ever had? Um, I don't know. Try curry, I think, was, um, <laughs> was one of them. Um, uh, people love curry and they they absolutely <laughs> addicted to it, but but not for you. Yeah, um, yeah, it don't do a lot for me, really. You know. All right, and then finally, uh, this the key word of this podcast is disruptive. Yeah. Uh, what does that word mean to you? Um, it, it, if something solidifies, um, it basically doesn't change. Um, and if it's something that's not good, well, that's not good, that it's solidified. And we have a society that's solidified. There's so many gimmies. Um, and what I mean by gimmies is that things are accepted as if, well, that's how things are. And the greatest, one of the greatest forms of mind control is familiarity. Because when something becomes familiar, it becomes a gimme. And gimme things are not questioned. They're accepted. For instance, um, taking a child who's just come into this world at the age of three or four and putting them through that sausage machine all day, five days a week uh, um, for all the formative years called education, actually programming, that's a gimme. Well, that's how things are. Kids go to school. Yeah, but... Take a deep breath. Look at its effect. Let's question it. And when you start uh, questioning the gimmies, questioning the, 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 the solidification of accepted how things are, it's my daughter. Yeah. Um, perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> uh, I've brought her up well. Um, then, um, of course, you need to disrupt the solidification mm. for things to be changed. And, and, you know, if you want a quiet life, anything for a peaceful life, then nothing's ever going to change. Mm. You have to disturb things for them to change. And when you disturb things, they go into a state of flux before um, uh, 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 they, they reform in a different way. Mm. So you can have... Um, a perception of disturbance is, like, oh, no, I don't want change. Mm. Or you can have a perception of disturbance, which is a very positive thing. Because unless you disturb what needs changing, it won't change. Mm. Thank you. So finally, where can we follow you? Where can we find your books? And where would you like us to go? Um, I'd like, could, could you just tell my daughter? I'll be a second. Literally I'll be a second. Just, or yeah. or pre pre press the, the thing and, and let her in. and We'll have a quick one. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, DavidIke.com yeah. is my main website where there's new uh, news of in, putting context of, the, of, of events every day. Mm. Uh, there that people can get the 10-hour all-day talk that I did. They can get the books um, mm. and they can get all the details of where I'm speaking uh, just coming up now. And uh, uh, well, the tickets are all, 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 
almost all, all gone in every city that I'm wow. speaking in. That's the interest, that's the change that's taking yeah. place. Wow. David, thank you very much. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.